Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. You bet. I, I listened to your uh, recording of Alandis uh, and, and your show with them. Uh, Alandis is a friend of mine uh, from Miami, of course. Um, and that's how I heard about your show. So I'm, I'm a little bit familiar with how it comes out on the other end, but awesome. I, I, we're going to make the sausage now. <laughs> yes, I love that. <laughs> that's hilarious. <laughs> So hello and welcome to Queering Ability, a podcast from the Coalition for Sexuality and Gender Identities and the Coalition for Disability. My name is Wayne Glass. I use he, him, his pronouns, and I currently serve as a residence hall director at McAllister College. And hi, y'all. My name is Spencer Scruggs, uh, and my pronouns are he, him, his. And I currently work as a disability specialist at Florida State University. Awesome. In this endeavor, we hope to amplify the voices of queer individuals with a disability who identify as having different abilities. Furthermore, these individuals are student affairs practitioners, researchers, higher education faculty, and higher education administrators. This space is meant to highlight, honor, and celebrate their stories navigating the intersections. Today, we are excited to have the lovely Maria Cambone, who is currently a second-year graduate student at Miami University of Ohio. Prior to coming to grad school, they graduated from James Madison University in 2012 and worked as an editor for a company that makes websites and mobile apps accessible to people with disabilities for four years. Now they have a graduate assistantship at Miami University's Career Center and hope to become a career coach after they graduate on May 19th. Maria, resi Maria resides in Oxford, Ohio, where they attend school and work at Miami University. Career development is exciting for Maria. They are particularly interested in the ways in which career centers can deconstruct their origins in serving white, middle, and upper-class masculine folks in order to center the experiences for students of color, women, trans, and non-binary students, disabled students, and international students. On the personal side, Maria loves roller, roller skating, cats, fermentation, and peanut butter. I'm also a huge fan of peanut butter. <laughs> Maria was a lumberjack on a chainsaw crew in Western Colorado for a summer in college. That's pretty amazing. And Maria is also an avid roller derby fan. Go Cincinnati Roller Girls. Hello and welcome to Queering Ability. Thank you so much, Wayne. Thank you so much, Spencer. I'm so glad to be here. Uh, and just as an FYI, I use she, her, hers pronouns. Awesome. Thank you so much. So in addition to your awesome bio, would you like to start off by telling us about yourself, who you are, what you're about, and what makes you tick? Oh my gosh. Well, I feel like you covered so much cool stuff <laughs> in my bio. Yeah. Um, <laughs> let's see. Um, I am, like you said, I'm a second year graduate student at Miami University in the Student Affairs and Higher Education Program. Um, I've had my graduate assistantship at Miami University's Center for Career Exploration and Success for the past two years. I absolutely love working there. Um, I have uh, a long progression into career development through a lot of kind of zany career exploration paths myself. Um, <laughs> and I'm happy to talk about those if you like. Um, I, I was 
attracted to this podcast because my friend Alandis was featured on it and I listened to your uh, recording your episode with them. Um, and I said to myself, now, wait a minute. I, I identify as uh, bisexual and as having invisible disabilities, uh, which include, um, gosh, let's see, dyslexia, dyscalculia, ADHD, uh, executive function disorder, and an auditory processing disorder, uh, which show up in a bit in my work and in my uh, performance as a student. Uh, so I'm really interested in thinking about how this all plays out in my work as a student affairs practitioner uh, in increasing visibility for disabled queer people in student affairs, as well as for disabled queer professionals, mm. uh, irrespective of the industry in which they work. Um, and I thought your podcast would be a great way to connect with some cool folks who are interested in the same thing. So thank you so much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing that. And you kind of spoke to this a little bit, but um, on the note, I'm, we're curious to know, like, how does uh, how do you show up at in your job, in your in your assistantships, in class, like you know, being who you are, and like navigating um, the identities that you hold. Like, how does that kind of play a role in your day to day life? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for asking. Um, I think I, I feel like my disability comes out much more than my queerness does in my work. Mm, yeah, um, yeah. And and that's simply because of the fact that I require accommodations in class and in the office in mm -hmm. order to be successful. Uh, and so I, fortunately, I, I come from a, a wealthy background where I had the privilege of being able to get a diagnosis for my disabilities very early. Uh, mm -hmm. I had the privilege of uh, having a lot of tutoring, having uh, parents who could invest a lot of time and energy into my, uh, into helping me learn how to learn. Mm -hmm. um, so I've, I've had the fortune of being able to build a lot of uh, good skills in terms of asking for the accommodations that I need. Mm -hmm. uh, and that helped me articulate what my disabilities are in a pragmatic, functional way that other people understand. Um, as a result of doing this for the past probably 20 years now, uh, I feel very confident talking about my disabilities. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I regret that I, I wasn't able to receive the same level of support with my queer identities. Um, mm. And so, you know, it's, it's harder sometimes for me to be out about those, especially because I I don't see them as being so relevant in the workplace, except, you know, of course, then you have to talk back to that voice and it's Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And like, it, because intersectionality is so important, obviously we are an amalgamation of lots of different experiences and identities and how they show up in, in life. Can you, would, if you're comfortable, would you mind talking about like the intersections of like na as a person navigating uh, disabilities as well as uh, with, living within the queer spectrum? Absolutely. Um, well, and, and also, I, I don't want to only focus on my subordinated identities. I also want to point out that I'm approaching this as a cis white woman from a, a wealthy background. Um, mm -hmm, and so, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. I think it's important to think about the ways in which um, I, I do experience marginalization, but the yeah. ways in which I experience marginalization are really mitigated by all of these other dominance, dominant identities that I hold. Absolutely. Um, so, so I, I always 
tried to bring it back to that perspective. Is it, and it's hard for me even to dive into my marginalized identities because I always feel like, oh, but gosh, I'm, I have so much fortune as well. Absolutely. Um, I, I'm sorry, I got a little sidetracked. Can you repeat your question, please? Yeah, absolutely. So thinking about intersectionality, how uh, queerness and a person navigating different abilities, how that might kind of play a role um, in, in, you know, whether it's like your work or your personal life. I know you mentioned a lot about how, uh, like identifying within the queer spectrum on how that may not be as pertinent in certain contexts, but how that may like show up and how you mm. choose choose to interact or <laughs> choose not to interact or whether it's like personally or professional. And obviously this is all within your level of comfort and sharing with us. Sure, sure. Well, hey, I'm an open book. Um, <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> um, you know, I the biggest thing that I think of when you ask me that question um, is the process of continually outing oneself yeah, yeah. as queer and as disabled mm -hmm. uh, in the workplace to one's colleagues and especially to the students that I work with. Um, I think it's really important for me, and I think I think a lot of student affairs practitioners would agree that it's really important to us in our field to show up as our full authentic selves. Mm -hmm. um, so for me, that means sometimes pushing myself. You know, when I'm when I'm in in the office chatting with my students, uh, playing games with them, you know, I'll push myself to say, and also in my experience with this disability, or and also. You know, in my experience dating a person of this gender, a person of that gender, or a person with no gender. Um, and I, I try to look for those little scratch moments to disrupt the narrative and to get the students about, oh, wait, Maria is queer, Maria is disabled. What does that mean? What do you mean You know, because because there's less of a focus on development between staff members. Uh, right, right. Especially when I'm somebody coming in at a very junior level, as opposed to somebody who supervises other staff. Mm, um, yeah. And and you know, but I mean, that could be a misconception that I hold on my part because, of course, learning doesn't just come from the top down. But anyway. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, no, that's real. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but, you know, I don't know. Like I said, I think it's a lot easier for me to be open about my disability um, mm -hmm. and for me to talk to my colleagues about, you know, what does it mean when I'm bouncing up and down in my chair and doing a little dance in my seat when I'm working? Um, you know, mm -hmm. it, it means that I'm actually really focused. <laughs> and, and that's just sort of me burning off the extra energy in order to let me focus. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, if if that's if that's disruptive in an open office workspace, what can we do to mitigate that disruption? But then also, mm -hmm. uh, um, you know, make sure that I'm able to focus and get my work done instead of feeling like, uh oh, I'm distracting my colleagues. I need to sit still. Uh, <laughs> that's just not gonna happen. <laughs> like, sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's that's kind of what I think of when you ask that question. Thank you for sharing that. Can you, uh, now thinking about how you do your work and, and what keeps you going, so uh, work here, motivated and uh, what keeps you inspired in, in doing what you do and the students that you're working with? Sure, absolutely. Um, 
Well, I I love I love career development. You know, I've I came from this crazy background of work. I, I went from wanting to be an a writer. I wanted to write the next great American novel in yeah. college. Um, and I went from that to saying, well, what if I want to join the Forest Service? To well, mm. what if I want to become an editor for a big corporation in New York City? Uh, mm -hmm. Well, what if I want to work with adult professionals with disabilities? Uh, to well, wait a minute, I really like this coaching piece of editing, and I really like this um, uh, this working with disabled folks piece. Mm -hmm. So how do I bring those together? Well, I think I need to go back and work with college students. Um, mm. so like, like this whole path helps keep me engaged in terms of asking what's next, in terms of drawing energy from student success stories, in terms of drawing energy from uh, my peers and colleagues in my cohort uh, and in my office. Um, mm -hmm. I've found fabulous support, uh, from, uh, particularly from my graduate cohort. Um, Shout out to Miami University <laughs> education program because they're amazing. Um, I I have a couple of really good friends who hold similar identities as me in my uh, in that they are disabled and queer. Um, and you know I, I just get a lot of support from them venting uh, about what this means in terms of having great friendships, mm -hmm. um, in terms of having. Uh, a great deal of access, intimacy with those people. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I, I I get a lot of energy from my students. I get a lot of energy from where I've been, and I get great energy from the people who I get to be around. So I'm a, I'm a pretty lucky lady. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Awesome. Now uh, I'm going to pass the baton over to Spencer now. Fantastic. Yeah. So, uh, Maria, I um, had noticed that uh, you you had mentioned that you're now finishing up your graduate studies, um, and so I was curious maybe if you could um, expand upon like how you've navigated your graduate studies and your disability. Particularly, did you seek out accommodations um, as a graduate student? What was that process like? Especially um, considering like the the rigor level and the the stigma that academia holds for graduate students versus undergraduate students and 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 um the systems that are in place that can make graduate studies even more difficult mm -hmm. um, for students with disabilities mm -hmm. well so i'll start out by saying that when i graduated college i really thought that i was done um i i was a good student in college but I don't think I was a great student. Mm. Um, and I think a lot of that was because of some self-limiting ideas that I held about my own ability uh, based on the fact that I have these invisible disabilities related to the way that I learn. Um, and, and, you know, I, I only applied to three graduate programs. And when I when I was applying to graduate school, I was looking for two things. Uh, first, I was looking for a graduate program that would pay for my tuition um, because I got good advice from a mentor who told me not to pay for a master's degree in student affairs. Absolutely. Programs that would pay for that. Um, and 
I also was looking for a program that was going to be extraordinarily academically rigorous Mm. that I didn't really believe that I could get in. Um, Mm. I only applied to programs that I identified as reach schools. Um, And, you know, I had the benefit of working full time at that time in my life. So if I didn't Mm -hmm. get in, I could figure out another plan. Um, But in fact, I didn't even get interviews at the other two schools that I applied to. Um, uh, Miami was the only school that I interviewed at, um, and thankfully they must have liked something. <laughs> so here I am. Um, during college, I was pretty bigoted towards other disabled people, uh, especially people who had more visible disabilities than I did. Mm. Um, led me to uh, my led my mentor to encourage me to take a disability studies course. Um, mm. I fell rapidly in love with disability studies. Um, and that helped me to find work at James Madison University's uh, Office for Disability Services. Mm-hmm. Um, I was not the involvement queen that most of my colleagues and peers are in my mm-hmm. graduate program. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I, was, I was in the board gaming club and nerd club. Uh, and then I was a student worker in the Office for Disability Services at JMU. Um, and that, that became something that was really important to me. Um, I found that after college, I wanted to continue to work with disabled professionals, mm. uh, because I was still learning to see myself as somebody who's capable of being a professional, um, even as somebody who's disabled. Um, so I spent four years working at a company that does IT accessibility for people with disabilities, um, particularly making websites and mobile apps uh, accessible to blind users, to users with hearing impairments, uh, and users with uh, sensory processing disorders. Um, I worked uh, during my time there, I'd say probably half of my colleagues had visible disabilities and another quarter of us had invisible disabilities. Uh, so it was really cool. It was a, it was a fabulous place to find community, uh, to get to know my coworkers who, you know, I, I worked alongside a 45-year-old man who's blind, uh, who's a fabulous professional and a leader in the company. Uh, and that was so important to my development in seeing myself as capable um, and in seeing myself as um, able to become a professional uh, kind of regardless of what my mm-hmm. performance had been in school, uh, which again was good, but never superior. Um, so then when I, I said to myself, oh, wait a minute, I love this coaching piece of editing. Uh, I loved working at the Student Disability Services Center at JMU. Um, and I love um, this experience that I've had, uh, learning to see myself as a professional even with this disability perspective applied to me. Uh, so where can I go to use all of those things? Um, and uh, of course, first I thought I was going to be a disability services coordinator um, because I wanted to work with disabled students at the college. Um, and I said, well, wait a minute, guess what? Here's this cool thing. I take this disabled perspective anywhere I go because I embody it. I can't get out of my own brain. I can't get out of my own body, nor at this point in my life would I want to. Mm-hmm. So where can I go? Because we, we have so many fabulous disability services coordinators um, 
in in universities all over the place. We are so lucky that that very often this is something that universities are thinking about. Yep. Fingers crossed. <laughs> um, so so that service is often already being provided, but on you know on the one hand I was loving what I was doing in my graduate assistantship working at the career center. Mm -hmm. um, I was thinking, well, wait a minute, career centers are traditionally for who? When a student thinks of the career center, I've I've heard from students that they think it's for students in the business school, mm -hmm. uh, that they think it's where they go to get their <clears throat> resume, that they think it's, uh, you know, for white, wealthy students. Um, and certainly, we don't see disabled folks as professionals. Heck, if I struggle to see myself that way, Mm -hmm. and, and still to this day sometimes struggle with that is a is an 18 or 19 year old student with a, a visible disability going to see themselves as a credible professional i don't know um and and i would hope that they did um so then i started thinking well now oh, here's this cool piece if orientation is the process of transitioning into college then career services is the process of trans transitioning out of college um, and we think about providing all of this support for students from diverse backgrounds mm -hmm. in orientation. Uh, we think about providing them with that support while they are in college, but it's almost like, it seems like there's this gap uh, that career services as a field is beginning to think about and beginning to address, mm -hmm. um, which is to say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. All of a sudden, we're we're giving them the support coming in. We're giving them the support while they're here. But then it's students think that it's all about the white wealthy business students, even white wealthy cis masculine business students. When it comes to career services, and everybody else is left out in the cold. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know if that's I don't know if that's true everywhere or if that's true at all institutions, but I think that's a preconception that students have about career services, mm -hmm. which so whether that's very real in some institutions or whether institutions are working hard to provide more services than just for those people, um, you know, it's going to inhibit students from taking advantage of the learning opportunities that career centers can provide. Um, so I try to be really out with my disabilities and with my queerness in my workplace. Um, predominantly with my students, but also with my colleagues as well. Um, and for their part, my colleagues have done a wonderful job uh, supporting me and having conversations with me about what this means, about what accommodations I need, um, and that sort of thing. Um, so I'm, I'm trying to think ahead with how do we support students in getting internships, in getting full-time jobs, mm -hmm. in learning how to articulate their skills that they've developed, through their coursework, through their involvement in campus activities, and even through things that happen outside of school that they do. Um, so yeah, that's that's kind of what I'm about. That's where I get my energy from. And oh, and gosh, and the cool thing with that is that it doesn't just have to be about disabled students or queer students. Then once we're already thinking about career services for marginalized folks, then we say, what would it look like to center the experiences of students of color as they're searching for internships or as they're searching for jobs, what would it look like to center veteran students? Um, 
what about international students, you know? And as soon as you have your mind on this track, asking these questions, it's like a snowball effect. Like, mm -hmm. just you just keep rolling with that, and it goes to some really exciting places. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you for for uh, sharing that that little bit. I know that um, at, at convention this year, I'd actually talked with um, a faculty member whose name is escaping me right now. Um, but she she had been talking about just you know um, her experience of working with graduate students um, that identifies having a disability and and how um, academia as a whole um, can be very um, marginalizing of of individuals with different learning needs and and whatnot just because the rigor of uh, of that um, environment or whatnot is. Um, is elevated over um, undergraduate <laughs> studies and, and and there's a pervasive um, uh, pervasive erasing of of the the struggles that that many individuals with disabilities face in 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 graduate studies so thank you for sharing all that I um, was also curious about how you felt um, queerness and queer identity show up in Career explorations among our students, um, uh, you know, among the 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 general process of of career exploration, and and how you yourself advise students, or how um, you think career advisors should should advise um, queer students uh, in in their career exploration. Sure, sure. Um, so. I've had students ask me sort of feeling out in advising appointments, well, how do I ask about holding some kind of particular identity in the workplace? You know, often students in advising appointments don't come out to me right away. Um, and then, you know, you point to the sign on your door that says safe zone and you're like, well, wait a minute and see this little rainbow sticker on my computer. Hey, hey, <laughs> hey. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's great to have those little tools. <laughs> um, and then, you know, then it becomes a, a serious conversation about how do you through an interviewing process, um, interview the company as much as they're interviewing you mm. um and you know particularly for students who want to work in either in places that are more conservative or in industries that are more conservative um you know it would be great to be able to tell students well be your whole authentic self and if they don't like who you are or if they don't like some aspect of your identity then you probably don't want to work for them anyway but that's really idealistic. And you know, you know, if what if a student says, Well, I love everything about this company and I love everything about what they do, the the learning that I could do and the opportunities that that would provide. Um, but that's not a supportive company for me to be out in. Um, and then that just becomes a conversation. Um I, I think of you know, riding the tandem bicycle, <laughs> um, Baxter McGullman's learning partnership model, and, and <laughs> through, work through what that is. What does that mean for them? Um, you know, is it is it always important to them to be out in the workplace? Mm -hmm. um, you know, and and if it is, then don't compromise that. Um, but if on the other hand they have an opportunity. 
that maybe they're they're just not sure. Um, you know what what can you do to engage in that workplace? Um, and you know you you don't necessarily have to share every single detail about yourself to all of your coworkers all the time. Uh, and in many industries, that just like that's just not how people interact with one another. Um, so you know, and and some of that is teaching students the kinds of questions that they can ask. Um, mm -hmm or that they might feel comfortable asking um, because there's lots of ways to approach that in an interview. Um, some of it is learning to do the research about a company to see if they have um, professional development groups within the company, especially in larger organizations um, that focus on uh, different groups of marginalized folks. Um, and if, if they do have that, do they have uh, a queer identity group, for example? Um, but I think I think that can really be dependent upon the students' needs uh, and as well as the industry and the um, the organizations that they're looking at working with. Um, so you know it's hard and it, and it takes building relationships with a student. None of this is stuff that comes up in a first career advising appointment. None of this. Mm -hmm. you know this is like, maybe a second appointment, but usually like a third or fourth once they've gotten comfortable with me and they were chatty and, mm, right. you know, so how's life, what's going on, okay. Um, so, you know, that that really calls back to the idea that it's so important to build relationships with your students mm -hmm. and to somebody who's a consistent resource to them um, and, and who takes an interest in their lives, you know, particularly, um, particularly, you know, like go to the basketball game, uh, go see the theater production, you know, so, so you know a little bit about what's going on. And then when a student comes in and tells you, oh, hey, I, I was at the basketball game or heck, I played in the basketball game, then you know a little bit about what's going on in their lives and you can connect with them. Um, mm -hmm. So it's, you know, it's it's kind of like that work-life harmony. <laughs> Not so yes. much but thinking about what can I do that's something that I enjoy but that also will help me feed into students' contexts and students' stories that they'll share with me. Mm -hmm. in my advising appointments at work. So it's kind of it's kind of a big complicated thing. And there's not, you know, I wish there was one easy answer that I just could give you and then you could give your audience and it would be great. But <laughs> there was an answer, somebody else would have published it already. <laughs> well, you know, and I and I think that that sort of mirrors that I mean there's not one necessarily singular experience for everybody. Uh you know, I think that there's there's certainly systems in place that that we can we can generalize you know to a certain extent how how queer individuals navigate the world but th there isn't one singular experience and we can't necessarily force that singular experience or that singular interpretation on every single queer individual when it comes to you know how they navigate these these you know different milestones Absolutely. in their life and and, and whatnot Absolutely. so and then, and then we think about, you know, not only about queer students, mm -hmm. but about, you know, the, oh my gosh, you know, the intersections of race and queerness, exactly. the intersections of queerness and ability. And like, how does this all fit together? It really comes down to building that individual relationship with the student and understanding them on their terms. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, it's, it's complicated. It's yeah. big. One it's, and it's and, why we've got work to do. You know, and thinking about, you know, in our political climate, you know, certain identities, you know, in that intersection certainly might might 
in some ways matter more or or are more salient at the time um, yeah. uh, of, of yeah. you know searching for a job or or whatnot you know over over other identities so um yeah yeah well thank you for sharing that i can say for go ahead yeah absolutely from my perspective i i need accommodations in the workplace you know and and i need to work with people who can be supportive of that um and previously in in my former life working as an editor i wasn't out in the workplace um and that was that was a choice um it was it was actually fine considering the environment that i worked in was was neutral pleasant but mm -hmm. not the kind of place where you share intimate details of your life sure. or eating with your friends um and that was okay um so you know i forget where i was going with that but <laughs> I was going somewhere. Oh well. <laughs> well, I mean, this has been just a, a fantastic time talking with you and 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 um, getting to you know hear your your story and your your perspectives on on these topics. Uh, I guess you know with um, with our our time wrapping up or whatnot. Is there anything else that you would like to share with us, with the world, with? you know, student affairs, anything else, you know, I, I know you had mentioned earlier that you were job searching. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, if anybody needs a career advisor. Yeah. <laughs> Hashtag hire me. Yes. yes. <laughs> yeah. Just thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And, you know, I love listening to this podcast as well. Um, I don't think that I would have jumped in right away uh, to join the conversation if I hadn't heard some of the episodes that you'd done already. And I just think you're doing wonderful work. So thank you so much for, for amplifying these stories. Well, I really appreciate it. Well, thank you. We can't, we can't do this without people like yourself that are willing to be so open and honest and, and, and willing to share, share their perspectives and their narratives. And, and we, we rely on that, um, you know, otherwise it's just, it would just be me and Wayne talking for forever and, and <laughs> which I'm, I'm sure we certainly absolutely, absolutely sure that we could completely do and do like a hundred episodes of it, but. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if everyone wants to hear us ramble exactly. on for hours exactly. at a time. Exactly. <laughs> um, well, how can people connect with you at, you know, contact information, social media, yeah, well, hey, I'm all over LinkedIn. Okay. Um, career services. Um, I'm a little bit on Twitter, sort of. Um, <laughs> so Maria Cambone rhymes with ham bone, but starts with a C. Um, on LinkedIn, uh, I think my Twitter handle is M E Cambone. So that's Maria Elena Cambone. Now you know my whole name. Um, and those are probably the best places to get in touch with me. Um, so hit me up. I'd love to chat. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I cool think, I think that, that ends our time. Thank you all so much for, for joining us. And, um, hopefully, um, our, our people listening are subscribed. If, uh, if not, they can certainly subscribe to the podcast on Apple podcasts and, on Google Play, uh, <clears throat> and make sure you tune in for our future episodes as well. Awesome. See y'all later. Thank Bye you. Bye, y'all. Bye. So nice talking to you. Miss yeah, Angie. have a great night. 
Miss oh, gosh. Benji. Oh, I hate you. Oh. We're done. We are done. Okay, all right. <laughs> Bye, y'all. All right. Bye, Miss Vanjie. Bye. Bye.